In a sense, it's not really a contradiction, but more of a paradox that the thing that can very well break you may just be the thing you need that makes you whole. I am, of course, talking about being alone. Is anyone calling you, texting you, reaching out in some way to bother you, just to see how you are? The mind is kind of like one's own continuous conversation with oneself. This book is pretty much that as well, and here you are joining the conversation. Welcome. This is a story about anxiety and the lonely. To forewarn you, it may be confusing to follow, but anxiety really scatters the brain like that. Thoughts are emotional and extreme and may even be contradictory from time to time, but they're all valid. They are our perceptions of reality. They're always changing. Have you ever watched the sunset over the shores of still waters? It's quite peaceful. It's like a desert and the ground is just water and seems to go on infinitely to the one observing it. Beauty is captivating. We are not the ones looking at beauty though. No. It looks into our eyes, down to our very soul, and freezes time. It stuns the heart. It temporarily eases pain. Well, not entirely, but it makes you forget for a moment. It's like nothing really exists. Like not even you exist. Just that thing you can't take your eyes off of. Samuel looks above at the sky as he sits on a hillside by the lake, surrounded by tall grass and weeds, so captivated by the scenery he's not even paying much mind to the cicadas screeching all around him. Oh, the beautiful sky. As he looks her up and down with all the blends of oranges, pinks, and purples that trace back to the sun that bathes in the coastline and glistens its reflection in the water back up shore. There are a few absolutes in this world. One is the undeniable beauty of nature. It has to be absolute. We need it to be. We need there to be constants that exist to make up for the loss in the things we lean on to heavily, like love. Samuel loved life. He loved the world and everything in it, but he loved himself the least, and he loved Delaney very much. Probably too much. She wasn't in love with him anymore. The way she explained it, she hadn't been in love with him for a very long time. Six years they were together, but she apparently felt this way for the past four. He loved her more than everything else. He found happiness in her happiness, but the problem with looking for happiness in anyone but oneself is that we are more susceptible to disappointment. Samuel did everything to make Delaney happy. He did everything to be perfect. Perhaps it wasn't too ideal of a thing to strive for, but ultimately, it was never enough. It wasn't that he couldn't make her happy, it's just everything was momentary. All the gifts and the random and spontaneous sweet things he'd do and buy for her, letting her quit her job just to finish school, working every shift that he could to keep collecting money to buy a house and pay for a whole wedding. When you write it on paper, it doesn't seem like that long of a list, but it made him feel weathered all the time. 
Do you want to be married to me still? His voice echoes through his head, replaying the memory. She sat there in silence, keeping her eyes to the ground. Do you not want to be married to me anymore? Samuel rephrased. She nodded her head yes. Are you in love with me? She shook her head no. Did you, did you feel this way bef before the wedding? He innocently asked while not even showing the arduous struggle of fighting back his own tears. She nodded her head yes. He stared out the window at the sun. Mentally, he came back to the present moment as he watched the sun fully descend below the coastline and out of sight. Samuel had never felt so much regret. Nothing he ever did for Delaney felt regrettable. If anything, at the time, it was all a no-brainer. It made sense doing all the things he did for her. Not just to keep her happy, but to help her grow and build her success. He forgot to take care of himself, but he always thought he could do that later. Love is not meant to be transactional. You shouldn't give just so you can take, but Samuel regretted doing any of it. He allowed himself to be so vulnerable for her. He didn't even want to be dating when they first met. She was the one who went after him. She was the one to say, I love you first. She was the one to first discuss marriage and life ever after. At this point, the wound was still fresh. A part of him still loved her only because it was so sudden. There was no storm warning. He left one place lonely, only to go home and spend time just the same, within the confinement of his dark and gloomy bedroom. He had no appetite to eat. Most days anymore, he only ate once or twice a day. He tried to stomach some sustenance, but he couldn't put it down. He'd already lost 20 pounds in a couple weeks' time and couldn't bear to look at the scale anymore. He laid in bed on his side, on his side. Laying in the middle felt too weird. He made up other excuses why he couldn't. He'd be that much further from the nightstand. He needed to be close to the edge to kick the blankets off his feet when they got too hot. He tucked the pillow on the other side of the bed under his arm to help him get comfortable. But he wouldn't fall asleep. He was tired every day and yet could hardly sleep. Samuel cried through the night until his eyes were too puffy and burned too much from his salty tears to stay open. Alarms from his phone brought his eyes wide open. He wasn't sure how long he slept for because he refused to check the time before trying and he never hit REM phase. Every day, Samuel could feel his body becoming lighter, but it still felt too heavy to pick up. He felt drained, emotionally, physically, mentally. He felt broken in his heart and in his soul. The thing about when your world is crumbling is that you're still expected to keep going. Samuel had to get up to go to his job. He worked at a restaurant, 
as a server. In the service industry, when you're a waiter, you're basically a low-wage paid actor. People come in and make requests in the form of statements, not questions. Salt and pepper, restroom, water. If you're lucky, they might even make eye contact when they ask, no, demand things. No one wants to work these days, they say. The ones that do work go in day in and day out, molding a smile on their faces, speaking in a chipper tone, and going above and beyond because tips are their sole income. Sometimes it really doesn't matter how perfect you perform. People don't tip that great. Maybe that should be a quote. No one wants to tip these days. The truth is, many people don't think you're worth the tip. Samuel's restaurant hosts many private parties, funeral parties or wakes in particular. Many of those guests hold a higher value of life for the corpses of their fallen loved ones than the living being waiting on them. A lady across the room raises her hand and snaps her finger. Samuel looks over and makes eye contact. She waves her hand and smirks her sarcastic grin. He promptly makes his way over to her. Did you need something over here, ma'am? He kindly asks. She points to her water cup that is less than half full. Water? He asks. He knew the answer. He just wanted her to say it out loud. She looked back at her friend and continued their conversation. Samuel goes over to the service station and fills up a new water cup and immediately drops it off to the lady. Not a thank you and no break in eye contact. It's as if he's a ghost. He was about two hours into his shift. The restaurant wasn't that busy yet. Perfect opportunity to inhale food for lunch. He wasn't hungry, but he couldn't keep starving his body. He was already a frugal person to begin with, but when Delaney broke his heart, she kind of just up and left everything for him to figure out, even the divorce. She had a friend on the East Coast she went to live with while he continued to pay the house's expenses all her bills, hiring an attorney to create the dissolution papers. So, tuna is about 70 cents per can, give or take. It might be an acquired taste, but it is the most affordable source of meat protein currently. Samuel goes into the kitchen to crack open a can and drown it in hot sauce for flavor. What? He says, jumping at the touch of a hand on his back. He'd spaced out for a moment. I just sat you a table of six, his co-worker Sam repeats herself with an alarmed look on her face, confused about how she scared Samuel that badly. Oh, thanks, he says, turning back around to mix the hot sauce in with his tuna. He leaves it a little watery to make it easier to put down. The longer it took to eat something, the quicker it took to lose his appetite while eating it. In a few bites, it was gone. He went out to check on his table. They weren't even sitting yet, just standing around the table conversing. He couldn't hold it in anymore. It had been a month since Delaney left. He was starting to accept she wasn't coming back. It was too apparent something was up with him, and he couldn't keep responding nothing when his co-workers asked him what was wrong. Can I have everyone meet me in the kitchen real quick? He went around gathering up his co-workers. They all met in the kitchen standing around him. Samuel was not the type to make a formal announcement. Most of the time he was kind of obnoxious and funny, so 
They must have been pretty confused by his request for a staff meeting. So, I'm sure you've all noticed how I've been acting different lately. Um, the truth is, Del Delaney left me. There wasn't one shut mouth in the whole group. What? said Kimberly. Yeah, so, um, that was uh, about a month ago. I thought maybe we could work it out, but she's not coming back. Um, she isn't in love with me anymore, and um, wasn't even before the wedding. It was as if his sadness and hopelessness had become so contagious and everyone in the room caught it. So if you see me breaking down, it's just getting too hard to hide and I wanted all of you to know. Everyone took their turns of saying, we're really sorry Samuel, and giving him hugs. Every day was difficult to get through, but at least now his coworkers would understand. As the afternoon transitioned into the evening, when they would be busier, more staff were coming in. Claim your tables, his co-worker Garrett tells him, putting the map of the sections down on the counter in front of them. They were sharing a section of, full of lopsided larger groups, everything from a table of six to a table of twenty. Why do I have to claim it now? Why can't we just rotate? Samuel asked. I don't want to have to worry about this as they're coming in. Tell me which tables you want now. Garrett didn't do well under stress. Unfortunately, most Saturday nights were busy and stressful, and tonight was Saturday. Samuel knew Garrett didn't want the 20, but he didn't want it either. He was feeling really drained today. You can take this one, he said, pointing at the 20. You sure? Garrett said. I know you said you needed the money. He said, trying to sound genuinely concerned about Samuel's financial well-being. Okay, you're right. Okay, Garrett repeated back with a smile on his face. The kind someone makes when they feel a satisfaction from helping someone else. Garrett's tables all showed up spaced out in time. He took care of all of them, and then he never even stomped across the dining room floor so flustered like he usually does. Samuel's section, on the other hand, were all late, with the slight exception of one table of six whose two members showed up an hour earlier before everyone else. After they showed up, so did his table of 12, and his party of 20 ended up being 26 people instead. All three groups showed up at the same time. It was quite the recipe for disaster. To anyone who's ever done any kind of work like this, you might not give it much thought of how difficult this would be for one person serving 44 people at the same time, but it's a horrendous thought even trying to strategize how to tackle such a situation doing everything in a timely and poised manner. First, he took the drink orders from the six, then the 12, then the 26 last since they were the last ones in and seemed to be doing fine talking amongst themselves while they waited. If you do work in the dining industry, one small dilemma can throw a whole train off its rails. Samuel wasn't the type to ask for help, here and there, he would ask someone to deliver waters or napkins for him, but often he tried to do everything himself. As the food came up in the kitchen, it was scattered all across the table under the heat lamp. Not a problem though, just a little speed bump. 
However, when it got to taking out the food for his table of 26, before he could even finish bringing all the food, some of the members of the party were already finding something wrong with their dinners. Three people's steaks were undercooked, one person was missing a side, and during his last commute to pick up his order, a whole dinner was missing as somebody else had accidentally taken his plate out of the kitchen mistaking it for theirs. As he was going back and forth from the kitchen to the table and to the other tables, it was like everyone in the room needed something from him at the same time. There was snapping, shouting, excuse me, and overall just kind of watching him in anticipation of their turn to dispute their dissatisfaction with whatever. I don't want my steak, one lady said. I'm sorry, ma'am. May I ask what was wrong with it? It's undercooked. I don't want to wait for it to be recooked. It took long enough. Just, I'll take another glass of wine. At the same time, other people of the group of 26 wanted more drinks too, just blurting out me too and handing him their trash as he stood collecting it and making mental notes of who wanted what. He hurried over to the service station. Garrett, can you help me? He said with a stack of plates that scaled from his waist to his chin. What? He replied. Samuel didn't have time to spell it out. He went and sorted through the plates and trash, then made his way back to the computer to put in his drink and dessert orders. He was in hyperspeed. It was like he was thinking faster than the computer could keep up. Oh, look out here, comes Barry Allen, Garrett said, looking, letting out a chuckle. Shut up, Samuel snapped. As if you're never like this, and now you're just standing back here laughing at me. Fuck off. Everyone got serious. No one was smiling anymore. Samuel took the dirty glasses he had tucked in his arm to the bar and waited for his drink order to come up. His patience was splitting like a rope. And the final part had just torn. He was holding onto the stem of a wine glass and squeezed it in his frustration. The glass broke in his grip. He put his order on the tray and stopped back by the server station to grab a cup of water. He swiftly made his way back to the large group and passed the cup of water to one of the older gentlemen. Immediately after receiving the cup, the man said, Young man, may I have another cup? This one has blood on it. Samuel took the cup back and looked at his hand. He was in fact bleeding. He didn't even feel it when he cut himself. Of course, to finish off the splendid evening, everyone wanted their bills at the same time. He took the check presenters to the twelve last, as they had expressed the most patience between the three tables. Do you have this whole room to yourself? Don't you have anyone to help you? One man asked. No, it's just me, Samuel replied. The entertainment for the night was some Fleetwood Mac imitation band, but they weren't that great. Samuel wasn't paying much mind to them, especially in the heat of the mess he was trying to navigate with his tables. As he went through all the books to close out payments, the band began playing the song Delaney walked down the aisle to, A Thousand Years by Christina Perry, one of the most overused wedding songs, but a song he cherished because of her. It was a terrible cover, but it triggered some heartbreak nonetheless. He began to cry. Everyone behind the service station watched him. His friend Devin offered to help him. She was the nicest person there, but he refused help. He was too choked up to try to tell her what to help him with. He returned all the books back to the guests, 
and went down to the basement in the boiler room of the restaurant to break down by himself. He wanted to call someone. He tried calling his best friend, but she was busy still at school. He tried calling his dad, but he and Samuel's mom and brother were at a wedding. He had no one in the moment. He had no other tables the rest of the night. He stayed down there until it was time to clean up and go. He felt bad for cussing out Garrett. That was so out of character for Samuel. When he went back upstairs, Garrett walked right over to him and slapped his chest, gesturing for a hug. I'm sorry, Papa, he said, trying to lighten any tension. No, I'm sorry, I, Samuel began before Garrett cut him off. No, I can be an asshole, but you don't deserve that from me. At the end of the work night, Samuel got into his car and began driving home in silence. He'd been doing that more and more lately. Normally, he had to have some music on, something to match the mood. But there was nothing that could match how he felt right now. The saddest songs didn't feel sad enough. They lacked too many other emotions he was feeling. The front screen lit up. Incoming call from Dad. Hey, Dad. Hey, pal. I'm sorry I missed your call. How was work? You know that feeling when you scrape off a scab too early and you realize your wound is still fleshy and hurts? That was Samuel right now, to put it lightly. He felt embarrassed, ashamed, defeated, drained, unworthy, angry, etc. Dad, I can't take this anymore, he said. What do you mean, son? What happened? I don't... I don't mean suicide. I would never... I don't want you to think I would do that, Samuel assured. I can't keep living like this. I feel stuck now. I come to this job because I make better than if I was working in anything else. But no one cares about you. All these people, they throw a fit if they don't have enough dressing for a salad. Like, it's the biggest problem of their day. <laughs> I wish that was my biggest problem right now. I know, pal. They both just kind of sat in silence. Samuel didn't know, but hearing about Samuel's pain was making his father break down on the other end, too. I just feel like I'm stuck, and none of this is going to get better. I know that's how it feels right now, but it can only get better from here. You're hardworking, intelligent, a real genuine guy, you're doing a lot better than you realize. You're doing a lot better than most would be in your shoes right now. When he got home, his dad's words reverberated in his mind the rest of the night as he mentally and verbally argued with himself. Worthless piece of shit. You're stuck because you're lazy. You never do anything but work and go home, he says, pacing around. You poured more effort into her life than she took it all and dashed. If you put that same work into yourself the whole time, you wouldn't be here. 
Samuel continues to pace around the house, subconsciously dodging furniture and corners of doorways. He's not paying much mind to the physical space around him. He is visually, in his mind, playing back all the things he did for Delaney, how hard he worked on everything he did for himself, like buying a house with his own money. He goes to the bathroom, flicks on the light, and looks at the mirror to see himself, locking eyes with this reflection as if it's not really him, but definitely someone he resents and hates. So what? You have a house. He begins to lecture himself. You had someone and she left you. It must have been pretty bad for her to leave. This harsh self-criticism was mainly sourced from his insecurities. But what made it worse was how they were amplified by her words to him. Before he finally got her to confess about the lack of love she felt she unpacked a lot of negative things on him. You don't communicate with me. I don't feel supported by you. I'm not attracted to you. The list went on. As much as he collected what she said to bully himself, he tried to forget too. He obviously didn't like talking to himself like this, but he couldn't help it. She eventually admitted to making up a lot of those things to relieve her of guilt for leaving but the damage was done and couldn't be taken back because they aligned with the things he already told himself good luck getting anywhere now no way you're getting out of this you'll do this kind of work for the rest of your life never getting to do anything to make yourself happy because you'll always have to work to barely keep your head above water. He continued looking into his own eyes and began studying his features. Huh. She really told him she wasn't attracted to him. What a nice blow to the self-esteem on that one. Especially coming from someone who's been sucking it up being with you all this time. You were lucky to get one for a second. You've never gotten that kind of attention before. He raised an imaginary wine glass. So here's to the rest of forever of being alone and undesirable, you miserable fuck. He looked into his eyes angrily, but the feeling deflected and came right back, piercing his heart. He began to sob. Tears harbored the bottoms of his eyelids. His face got red, and so did the whites in his eyes. The strain from still trying to hold it all in popped a vein out of his neck. He went to his room, stripped down to his boxers, and laid in bed soaking his pillowcase. He'd been crying every day and night, but as the amount of tears go, this might have been the record. Today really proved how life doesn't care how much of a wreck you are. You don't get a break, and you might just have your ass handed to you. The following morning, he woke up several times to the alarms he forgot to take off before bed. He might as well have kept them on, though. He needed a reason for a little push to get out of bed. Every time the alarm would go off, 
he would hit snooze and go back to bed. The sound of the alarm was seeming to blend into the brief dreams he was having. He finally woke up for the last time at one in the afternoon and peeled himself out of bed. He went to the restroom and checked his phone, switching between social media apps to get some kind of an emotional stimulation to perk up. Samuel slowly stepped down the hall in the living room and laid on the couch staring up at the sky through the window. Gray sky with light rain, mother nature's way of setting the mood. It's funny how things can be or represent whatever we want them to be just because. A rainy day can be a time of replenishment. When the sky gives back hydration to everything on the ground, it can be a time of renewal. Like the rain washes away all the bad and suffering and restores the beauty in everything around us and in us. Today, though, was just a gloomy and rainy day for Samuel, nature's personification of the sadness inside him. Samuel never realized it before, but he was coming to see how his stress and depressive state was affecting him. It made him tired all the time during the day. If he would allow himself to, which was not difficult to say the least, he would sleep all day long going without eating or drinking and making him even more tired. He dozed off for another hour. His ex's cats remained in the house since she left them too. They hid in the basement when he was awake, but somehow could sense he was asleep on the couch and came creeping up to nibble on their food by the front door. Samuel's phone began to vibrate in his hand that rested on top of the pillow he was hugging to his chest. Incoming call from his best friend Mina. With one dry eye open, he dragged his finger across his phone to answer. Hello? Hey, I'm sorry I missed your call. Literally just like passed out so early last night. Is everything okay? How was work? Samuel sat silent on the other end at first. Where was he to begin? I had a rough night at work. Why? What? What happened? Mina asked. Well, I told everyone. I told them to spread the word for me, too, because if I'm being honest, I just really don't have it in me to explain it to everyone I see right now. I kind of want them to just know already, he said. No, for sure, I, I get it, she replied. And I got my shit rocked, he continued. I got screw over with my tables. I got them all at once. A bunch of stuff got messed up. I broke a glass, cut myself, and I apparently served a water cup with blood on it to this guy. I told Garrett to fuck off. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, he probably deserved it, she justified for him. It's not like he's never in those kinds of moods. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's just that's not me. No, I, I get it. But like, you're going through a lot. It's, it's okay to, for you to be off your normal. Well, just to add icing on the cake, the band last night played the song she walked down the aisle to. Oh no, not the wedding song, she replied. Dude, I just feel like life really hates me right now. Like I definitely had to have done something to deserve all this, Samuel said. Countless times during the day, he traced back over the past six years thinking of all the good he did, but also times when he messed up 
that would have led to the demise of his relationship. The thing is, nothing he ever did wrong was anything terrible. He never raised his voice at her, never nagged her, never hit the walls, nor her. He got depressed and resentful of himself and felt he was not deserving of her love. But he did her homework for her, took online tests for her, he cooked, cleaned, did the laundry even when he had to come home and do it all because she was home all day and didn't do any of it. You know, maybe there wasn't any one act that he did to drive her out of love for him. Maybe she just didn't love him. Maybe no amount of kindness, acts of service, and verbal and physical passion can be enough to make someone stay. But he couldn't think like that. Samuel was the type to put all the faults and blame on himself, because from there, if the problem rooted from him, he could take necessary action to fix everything. It's admirable, but you can't rewrite innocence, and you can't force something to be true. Mina told him she'd be finishing the semester early and would be able to come home during the week so they could hang out. She did text him every day and Snapchat and sent him TikToks. She checked up on him as much as she could if she wasn't busy. She spent late nights on the phone and lent her open ear for him to talk or cry. Even her boyfriend Charlie was there for Samuel. He was like a Disney prince for Mina. Samuel was just grateful to have them both during the past month, especially Mina. She was like the sister he never had. They geeked out together. They had their own obnoxious banter that made them get weird looks from people and they could lean on each other. Samuel wasn't actually as alone as he thought he was. It was just when he was alone for too long that it got tough. The mind can be a dangerous place when you're alone for too long. The feeling of loneliness creeps in and can even stick around when you're not physically alone anymore. Samuel had his parents, his brother, and Mina, but he couldn't have them anytime. He couldn't have them during all the sad hours of the night when he was hurting the most, when he was in his harshest towards himself. At some point, he came to realize he had to deal with being alone, even if it meant confronting his own worst enemy, himself. Loneliness may feel long, but it is a finite thing. Someone does care for you. They are coming. They will text or call you eventually. If they don't, make a change. Be the change. Change yourself. Change your environment. Change the people you surround yourself with. Maybe you need to go where you've never been before to find where you're supposed to be because you're not going to find anything different from what's always been the same. It was time for Samuel to be the best person for himself because that's what he deserved all along. He had been that for other people countless times. This was going to be uncharted territory, intimidating and scary to say the least, but full of wonder and possibility. It was still a love story, but not in search for someone else, but a search for a love in himself.